0: Well, good morning. It's so great to have you all joining us today. I want to start with a little story I heard about a newlywed son-in-law who uh, wanted to prove to his father-in-law that he wasn't just a klutz, and his father-in-law happened to be a building contractor. And the way this son-in-law thought he would uh, impress his father-in-law was he was going to buy a house, a fixer-upper, and him and his wife were going to remodel it, and he was really going to do all the work. So he thought, I'll start out by painting two of the biggest rooms in the house, So he gets started on a Friday night. He uh, paints all through the night, all through Saturday, and uh, into Sunday morning. Anyway, Sunday evening, the father-in-law, who had been invited to dinner, came over to dinner, and he finds his son-in-law laying in a pool of sweat on the floor, passed out. And he's wearing an overcoat and a ski jacket. And he looks down at his son-in-law and uh, reaches down and actually shakes him and says, Are you okay, son? And his son-in-law looks up at him and says, yeah, I was just trying to impress you by painting two rooms in my house. So uh, the father-in-law looks at him and says, hey, that's great, but why are you wearing what you're wearing? He looks up at his father-in-law and he says, well, the can said that uh, uh, for best results, use two coats. Let me ask you, do you think he impressed his uh, father-in-law? I kind of doubt it. Probably didn't impress him at all. I'm sure with this... uh, pandemic thing that's been going on since last year and the quarantine times that many of us have had all of us have had um, we probably caught up on some home improvement projects maybe some of you went crazy and even built a new home maybe some of you renovated an, an older home maybe some of you remodeled your kitchen or your bathroom put on a deck or a porch just some kind of home improvement project with that said I was and still consider myself to be a builder. I've always loved construction, and when I had my own construction business, I loved to build new homes, I loved to build businesses, I loved to build or remodel anything that could be remodeled. I just loved it. And it was always exciting to me to take on a project and go over a blueprint, and the first thing was to lay a foundation and then get started on building apartments or homes or some kind of remodeling project. I just loved it. It was in my blood. Well, with that said, our Heavenly Father, you may not realize it, but our Heavenly Father also likes building projects. He loves building projects. And you and I happen to be part of those building projects. It's the type of building projects where God is never finished. He's still not finished today. And He is actually adding one stone after another as the years and the days go by. Well, if you remember from last November... We started a sermon series that was covering the uh, book of 1 Peter. And uh, we didn't get all the way through that because our Christmas series started. So we kind of stopped it. But I want to go back and I want to revisit that series. Because as you remember, Peter was actually writing this letter to the churches who were being persecuted by, number one, the government. But they were also being persecuted by their culture for standing for their faith. Peter wrote to the believers to encourage them to live for Christ. To live for Christ in a hostile world. He brings both a message of encouragement, telling the church to stand fast. Also a message of warning that says hard times are upon us. And if you remember, the whole book of 1 Peter is actually on the theme of hope. That we can have hope in Christ even in hard times. Even in hurtful times. And I would say without a doubt, every one of us out there would agree that we're all living in some pretty hurtful times. But let me get started in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 4. Look what Peter writes. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Let me stop there. Because did you notice it says you are being built? What's that mean? It's still happening. It's ongoing. Wherever you're at right now, sitting in your living room or whatever you're doing, turn to the person next to you and tell them, I'm a work in progress. Go ahead. I'm a work in progress. Now turn to the other person next to you and say, you definitely are a work in progress. I'll get things stirred up this morning as we get started. But let me read verse 5 again. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, He goes on and says to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This morning I want us to lean in, and I want us to look at these Scriptures a little closer and see what Peter is really referring to. Because Peter is actually comparing us as Christians, followers of Christ, to a building. And if you think about that, if you're wondering where Peter gets this word picture, I would say you could go back to that day in Caesarea Philippi, when in the book of Matthew, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And remember the story that the disciples looked at him and they said, well, some people say you're Elijah. Others say that you're Jeremiah the prophet who has come back to life. Then Jesus looks at Peter, and point blank, he asks Peter, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter, in that moment, he has this revelation, and he confesses that Jesus was the long-awaited and promised Messiah. Well, after that answer, Jesus looks at Peter and says, You're absolutely right, Peter. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He goes on and says, On this rock I will build my church. And do you remember the next thing he says? Keep in mind, he's referring to the church that he is building. He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here's an important thing I want you all to consider this morning. You can't say that about any other institution on earth. Your banks aren't going to last forever. Your schools aren't going to last forever. Your jobs aren't going to last forever. Our nation's not going to last forever. But guess what's going to last forever? The church. The church is going to last forever. It's one of the only things that's going to last and last and last. I've heard p- some people say that this pandemic is going to kill the church. And they've gotten real discouraged. They've said people are going to get tired of these online services and live streaming. And they're going to just either change the channel or they're going to turn their TVs off um, and just drift away. They say that this virus is going to cause Christians to be so fearful that they're going to actually kind of isolate themselves away from everyone and away from church, and they're no longer going to act as Jesus' hands and His feet and His heart in this world. I would say some of that drifting is going to happen, but I would say in the biggest picture of all, nope, that's not going to happen. That's never, ever going to happen. Nothing is going to stop God's church from doing what Jesus founded us to do, and who He calls us to be. No viruses, no government, not even the gates of hell are going to prevail against God's church. Amen? That's a moment wherever you're at, you got to give God a hand clap of praise, maybe a shout of hallelujah. He deserves it for sure. But what's the secret of the church's staying power? I think it's pretty simple. It's because it's built better than anything else on this earth. And its designer is a supernatural designer. He's the author of all creativity, And matter of fact, he's never, ever, ever made a mistake in his grand design. And God had a whole lot on his plate in this grand design. He's never made one mistake. So as a builder, I kind of want to hear what he has to say. Amen? So today we're going to be looking at these scriptures, let me say, from a contractor's standpoint. And as a builder, we have to begin every project the exact same way. You have to start down at the ground level. You have to start with the foundation. Verse 4 lets us know what our foundation I shouldn't say what our foundation is. Who our foundation is. Our foundation is Jesus Christ, who is described by Peter as being the living stone. Not just a stone, but the living stone. Because a stone can be described in a lot of different ways. By its size, by its shape, by its color. But to describe it as living, that's kind of strange. That's kind of weird. It's kind of a contradiction, you might say. It's kind of like an oxymoron, such as jumbo shrimp. Those two words don't seem to go together. Government organization. Those words definitely don't go together. I couldn't resist that one. But when you think of a stone, we think of uh, something that's dead, right? How many have heard the phrase dead weight? How many have ever heard the phrase stone cold dead? You know, is talking about something with no life at all. Years ago, some of you might remember, if you're as old as I am, a fad that was going across America. It was called the Pet Rock. Anybody remember that? Anybody buy one of those Pet Rocks? Kind of shows you just how dumb we as consumers can be sometimes. But it was this little Pet Rock that it came in this little cardboard box with air holes in it, and it was advertised as being the best pet you could ever have. It was advertised that way because you'd never need to feed it, never need to walk it, you'd never need to groom it, it'd never die, it'd never get sick, and it would never be disobedient. They just painted a little bit of a smile on this rock, and they put it in a little cage, and they took your money, took some of your money. But the thing is, it was still a rock. No matter what kind of face you painted on it, it was still a rock. It had no life in it whatsoever. But what Peter's talking about is a living stone. Why can he call it living? Why is it alive? It's because that rock is Jesus Christ. And he was dead, but then he was raised back to life. Jesus says in Revelations chapter 1, I am he who was dead, that's past tense, and am now alive forevermore. So Peter, knowing that, called Jesus the living stone. Then he takes it a little bit further in verse 6, that not only is Jesus the living stone, he's also the cornerstone. Have you ever heard that term, cornerstone? Well, in biblical days, a cornerstone was used as the key foundational block upon which the entire building was constructed. You know, it was the first block that was laid, and once it was laid in place, the rest of the building would conform to the size and the angles and the shape of that cornerstone. But if that cornerstone was removed, many times the entire structure would collapse. That's how important that cornerstone was. So Peter describes Jesus not only as a living stone, but a living cornerstone, who also serves as the foundation of the church, and as, of course, for each individual Christian's life. What I'm saying, people, is he has to be our starting point. He has to be our foundation. And I hope today with all of my heart, That Jesus Christ is the foundation of your faith. I hope that you're not building your faith just on uh, Jesus' great works or Jesus' great examples or saying that Jesus did some great things. He said some cool and wonderful things. And I hope you're not building uh, your walk with God and your foundation of God on what somebody else is doing with God. You've got to have it for yourself. Build it upon Jesus Christ Himself, the chief cornerstone of your faith the second thing we have to focus on is the building that means us we have to focus on us look at verse five you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ jesus is called right there the living stone that's singular but it calls us the living stones that's plural Jesus is the big stone, without a doubt. He is the main stone, and we're all the little stones built upon him. Kind of like the uh, chips off the old living block, you might say. But our lifestyle and our beliefs should be so clear and so unmistakable that when people see us, they ought to be seeing Jesus and his life living on the inside of us. Amen? Peter says that God is building a house. Not for someone else to live in, but for himself to live in, for himself to dwell in. The spiritual house or temple, we might say, that God is building, it's not built with bricks and mortar. No, it's built with living stones. People who have come to Jesus Christ, put their trust and their faith in him, people just like you and me. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. He confirms this as he says, you are God's building." You are God's building. That means that together, all of us together, we become a holy temple to house God's presence. We're built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ who leads us, guides us, and directs our lives. There's a great story I heard about about the ancient king of Sparta in ancient Greece. He used to brag and brag about his mighty walls of Sparta. How strong they were, how massive they were, One day, another king from another nation came to visit Sparta, and he looked around, and he says, I've heard you talk about your mighty walls, but I don't see any walls. Where are these mighty walls of Sparta? The king of Sparta looked over and pointed to his well-disciplined troops, his men. And he says, there they are. There are the mighty walls of Sparta. Just as each Spartan soldier was viewed by the king as a brick in his mighty wall, God views us as living stones in his mighty wall, in his building project, building spiritual houses. So Jesus, I believe, would point to you and I today, and he would say, hey, these are the stones of the building that I'm building. These are the living stones. Do you realize every time a person comes to Christ, a stone is being added? His building program continues because it's a spiritual house. I read somewhere one time where Sarah Winchester, heir of the fortune of the Winchester Rifle Company, she inherited $20 million and had an additional income of $1,000 a day. That's a lot of money. But it was an incredible amount of money back in the 1800s. Sarah moved to California. She bought an eight-room farmhouse that had 160 acres with it, and she hired 16 carpenters and immediately put them to work. For the next 38 years, a crew worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to build her a mansion. When Sarah died, the house covered six acres. You can see that house. It's amazing. That house covered six acres and had six kitchens, 10,000 windows, 40 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 52 skylights, 467 doors. 160 rooms, and a bell tower. But that house was never completed. It was never finished. You might say it was an ongoing project. You know, when I think of God's project, building His spiritual house, it's an ongoing project. He's been building it for over 2,000 years. And every time a person comes to Christ, another stone is set into place. And that building's never completed. Never completed. Never completed. It's always growing. I would say that you could say stones are constantly being added, and it's because Christians are constantly being added as they turn their lives over to Him. Peter describes the role that we play and kind of our purpose in verse 5. He calls us a holy priesthood, and then in verse 9, he calls us a royal priesthood. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You may not realize this, but did you know that you are a priest? You are. I'm actually a priest. I guess that makes my wife Cheryl a nun. Well, that's stretching it. To going way too far there for sure. No, she's actually a priest too. Any of us that have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are following him are priests. And I think Peter uses this analogy to tell us that we have complete access to the throne room of God. We're all invited by God to come close to Him. And the great thing is, we no longer need a middle man. We don't need a priest anymore. Or a ceremony to give us access into the doorway to heaven. Because we have direct access ourselves to Almighty God. So when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain or the veil was split in two. Look what it says in Matthew 27, 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. This veil was actually a physical barrier that, that separated the holy place, the outer court, from the holy of holies. And only a ritually cleansed priest could enter into that holy of holies where the presence of God was on the Day of Atonement. But after Christ's death on the cross, all of that changed. Hallelujah. All of that changed. Because we all of a sudden had access completely anytime to the throne room of God and His grace. Because we are His royal priesthood. One of my commentaries I was studying said that the word priest in in Latin means bridge builder. That means as Christians we are to be bridge builders. I believe we are to take hold of the hand of God with one hand and the hand of man with the other and try to bring man to God. That's our job. We're to be bridge builders for Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So the point Peter is making is we don't have to go to a temple because we are the temple. We don't have to go to a priest because we are the priest. And as living stones in God's spiritual house, verse 5, tells us that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if the main work of the priest is to offer sacrifices to the Lord, and if all believers are priests, let me ask you, whenever you go to church, how many of you bring in a bull, a lamb, a sheep, a goat, or another animal to be sacrificed? Any of you bring those animals in? No, we don't do that. Because the blood of animals, the sacrifice of animals, does not take away sin. But that doesn't mean we don't offer sacrifices anymore. That... Ritual was done away with when Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, died on the cross. Amen? It just means that we offer a different type of sacrifice. Which brings me to my last part of God's building project. Point number three, the blueprint. We've all probably heard of blueprints. Blueprint is a complete plan that explains how to build something, how to do something, maybe how to design or develop something. And one of the jobs of the priest back then was to offer sacrifices to God. It's our job today. So I have a question. What kind of sacrifices today are we as followers of Christ, priests of Christ, to be offering? Can you think of any? I'll give you some help today. I've got a few, and they come right out of Scripture. The first one is our bodies. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So he's saying basically, we just got to open up to God and come before God and say, God, here am I. I give you all of me. I give you my hands, my feet, my heart, my mouth. They're all yours. I sacrifice it all over to your purposes. That's a living sacrifice. But I will say this, a living sacrifice is a whole lot harder than a dead sacrifice. And I say that because a living sacrifice kind of has a tendency to squirm its way off the altar. What I mean by that is one day we might get on fire for God and make a commitment to God, I'm going to follow you with everything that I am, serve you, love you. And then two days later, we start questioning that commitment. (laughs) We need to get back on the altar. We are a living sacrifice and sometimes... Maybe several times a day, you have to bring that sacrifice back onto the altar over and over and over again. Another sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise. Look what it says in Hebrews 13, verse 15. Let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. So how is praise a sacrifice? I'd say praise is definitely a sacrifice when you praise Him when you don't want to praise Him when you don't feel like praising Him, when you're not having a good day, you don't feel like telling God how wonderful He is and how much you appreciate Him and thanking Him for all that He's done. You just don't feel like it, but you do it anyway. It's when you do it anyway and you determine in your heart, regardless of what circumstances I'm dealing with, I'm going to serve you with all that I have. I'm going to serve you with all that I am. That becomes the sacrifice of praise. I think you could throw prayer right in here with praise. You may not feel like praying. Some days you're so covered up with busyness that you don't have time to pray, but you make time to pray. You sacrifice your time to pray. You sacrifice your comfort to pray. You put down your remote. You put down your phone, shut off your TV, and you give God your full attention. That's a sacrifice of praise. That's a sacrifice of prayer. How about witnessing? How about witnessing? How about loving the unlovable? What about good works? What about giving financially? All of those are spiritual sacrifices when you do them not to be seen of men, but to be seen of God. Actually from a pure motive and a pure heart to be pleasing to God. Those are spiritual sacrifices. So my question is pretty simple this morning. How has your service to God been lately? Think about it. How has your service to God been lately Are there some areas in your life now that you know that you are a priest, you have full access to the throne room of God? Are there some areas in your life that need a little bit of work? Need a little bit of tweaking? Need a little bit of changing? Need a little bit of repenting? I believe in my heart that all of life should be a sacrifice that we offer to God. Our whole life. Because He's been so good to all of us. Every one of us. And His sacrifice was always the best sacrifice for us. So how can we not sacrifice some service over to Him when He's done so much for us? Earlier I mentioned that the Scripture called Jesus the living stone. You might be surprised in that same Scripture, it says that He can become something else, the stumbling stone. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, he is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Think about that. Picture this. Picture a huge flat stone hidden in the grass. Some people never see it because they're not watching for it. They're walking along with their head straight up, looking to what's ahead, not paying attention to what's below, and they trip over it and they fall. Other people, on the other hand walk through that grass slowly and carefully, paying attention with their head down, watching what's out in front of them, they see the stone. And instead of tripping over it, they stand on it. So one person trips over the stone, the other person stands on it. How many know what the word offense means? Like when you offend someone. Do you know what the Greek word for offense actually is? It's stumbling stone. So an offense is a stumbling stone. What I'm trying to say is Jesus is either going to be a rock that you trip over or He's going to be a rock that you stand on. Jesus Christ is either going to be a rock that you trip over or a rock that you build your house on, build your life on. Today that's your choice. You know, many people have stumbled over Him. Many people stumbled over Him when He came the first time. Two thousand years ago, they're still stumbling today there are people who are offended by the I guess the exclusive claims that Jesus made remember when he said he was the only way to salvation John 14 verse 6 Jesus makes that bold statement he says I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me you know the religious leaders stumble over Jesus because they couldn't understand him and didn't like him teaching on hypocrisy and they were a bunch of hypocrites the Pharisees stumbled over Jesus because they didn't like that he was hanging out with, uh, with tax collectors and prostitutes. And the Romans were offended because he upset, upset their public peace. And you know what they decided? All of them decided, we're going to reject him. We're going to reject Jesus because he doesn't really qualify to be our cornerstone. He doesn't qualify to be our Messiah. So 2,000 plus years have passed and men are still stumbling over Jesus. You know, they still find his message too controversial, too challenging, too maybe humbling, or too simplistic sometimes. But what they did 2,000 years ago, people are still doing today. Sadly to say, sad to say. They're still looking at Jesus, taking a look at him, thinking about him for a while. But most people are rejecting him as being the one that they should be building their life upon. Oh, they'll build their life upon someone or something else, I guarantee it. Maybe it would be something in this world like a movie star, a rock star, some ideology or some religion, but definitely not on Jesus. So even if this world looks at Jesus and says, "Uh, no, he's not for me, I'm not going to build my life upon him. Even though they might say that and they might do that, to those of us that have trusted him and put our faith in him, to us he's the precious cornerstone. And do you realize He sets the angles and the direction of everything in our life? And I've got to say this. Choosing Him is the smartest, wisest choice you'll ever make in your life. Back in the days when the Old West was being settled and developed, there were a, a lot of pioneers that made their way across the Oregon Trail to make it out west. And when they got to the eastern slope of the Rocky Mountains, there was this little stream that was just wide enough that they couldn't just take one step across. They had to kind of do a two-step thing across that little stream. And to do that, they had to step on what appeared to be this little clump or lump or a stone that was in the middle of the stream, and they'd step on across. Well, one man, one of these pioneers, built his cabin right next to the stream, but he had a problem. The wind was so strong out there that his door kept flapping in the breeze, and he decided I need a doorstop. So to solve his problem, he went down to that little stream and he took that clump out of the middle of that stream and he put it on his front step and used it as a doorstop. Well, a nephew of his was out east going to school for geology and he came out to visit his uncle uh, to see his cabin on his summer break. And when he did, Lo and behold, on the front porch of his uncle's cabin, he found not just an ugly lump, not just a heavy lump, but what people didn't realize is that lump was a lump of pure gold. Pure gold. It was the largest nugget ever discovered in the Rocky Mountains. It had been there for three generations, but people saw it in a different light. Some saw it as a ugly lump. Some saw it as a a heavy lump, even fit to be used as a doorstop. But only this nephew saw it for what it really was. A precious lump of pure gold. With that said, the same thing is true of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that others have seen as a stumbling block was actually a precious, precious stone. He's our precious living stone. He's our cornerstone. You know, you may not believe in Him today. I don't know where you are in your walk of faith, but one day you will. And one day some of us are going to stand before a holy God and we're going to be ashamed of ourselves for putting all of our faith and our pursuits in material things, earthly things. And we're going to stumble over Jesus. We're not going to have anything to say. We're not going to have any excuses to make. And we're not going to be able to make any claim at all to Almighty God. And because we refuse the Son of God in this life, He's going to refuse us in the next what you do with Jesus Christ determines what Jesus Christ does with you in your life in your future your eternity so a simple question I want to close with today is what are you doing with Jesus Christ today who is he in your life is he your chief cornerstone are you building your life everything in your life upon him or is he still that stumbling stone today you can build your life upon him just by opening up your heart Asking Him to come in and be Lord and Savior of your life. People, we can't go through this life and be the success God wants us to be if we don't start with Him as the cornerstone of the foundation of our faith. We need Him. He designed us to need Him. Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, I pray that You would help us all to see You today for who You really are. Help us to see Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And help us to see and accept Him as our cornerstone to build our entire life upon. Lord, help us to stand firmly upon Christ, the precious solid rock and foundation of our faith. Lord, help us as living stones with Your spiritual life living on the inside of us. Help us to share that love and that life with the world around us each and every day. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week.